0: Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows If you are involved with a PBS or community access television station, or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast, or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to take a look at the United States and China and look at a bit of the history of China and how it has developed up to this point. My guest today is an expert on this topic. Dr. Gilles Yihu is a historian and sociologist at the Université Paris Cité. His most recent book is Contemporary China, 1949 to the Present. Dr. Yihu, welcome to today's Global Connections program good morning good morning i appreciate you being with me today let's this is a very timely book why did you why did you decide to write it now this is a very important topic and one that uh, we need more understanding especially when it comes to china and the western countries and and and, well china and the whole world really because china is a major player in the world
1: well, I guess the first reason is that I've been teaching and, and researching China for more than 30 years, and it was, I guess, time for me to, to write a comprehensive study of, of contemporary China. Uh, of course, the second reason is, is, is I guess, that I, I witnessed a lot of misunderstandings about uh, what China has achieved, why China has achieved sector success, and how We, the West, should deal with uh, the
0: growing power of China. Uh, Exactly. There are so many myths and so much misunderstanding out there. It's it's just mind-boggling. You're absolutely correct. Well, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about how did China, what did China look like in the late 40s when Mao Zedong came to power, as opposed to today with Xi, who has apparently been a very effective leader, in, in many respects, uh, some people have criticized him for being uh, autocratic, but still he's been able to hold the, the country together. And it's a very complex country, is it not?
1: Yes, it is a complex country. When, when Mao Zedong you know, finally uh, came to power in 1949, after you know uh, several decades of uh, fighting and at the end, uh, a civil war, uh, China was a very poor country. China was also a country that was, um, uh, had very uh, complex relationships with its own and its neighbors, but you know the USSR and, and the United States. Uh, but uh, uh, the promise that Mao Zedong uh, made in, in 1949 was that he was uh, the, the leader able to rebuild China, and at last to uh, bring China back to what used to be its historical trajectory and being a a powerful country, being a a prosperous country and being an influential country uh, on the the global scene. What has happened, in fact, is that uh, uh, Mao Zedong has delayed, continuously delayed uh, these objectives. And, and prefer to repeatedly carry uh, revolution within China, and it's only the leaders that came to power in the 1980s, you know, starting with Deng Xiaoping, who were able to uh, accomplish the promises that had been made to the Chinese people in the 1930s and 1940s. So, uh, in a sense, you know, and and that's one of the main arguments of the book, is that uh, the program or the agenda of the communist country in China, and this is, you know, starting with with the 1940s, is is very much like what reformers in China had in mind, you know, already in the late 19th century or during the first part of the 20th century. All reformers, you know, even in the imperial period, the late imperial period, uh, wanted China to be, again, prosperous, um, influential, and and powerful. And th- it's only in the 1980s and, and today that these promises have become a reality.
0: It certainly is. Are, are you, you know, you're someone who has studied China for decades now and are very familiar with it is do you find it somewhat remarkable that with so much diversity in a country like that, that the country has been able to be held together? And it has progressed so dramatically, especially in the economic area. China, when Mao was there, was was very extremely poor. It it had many, many problems, uh, educational problems, health problems, just on across the board. But uh, the... uh, China has made a remarkable surge, I guess we'll say, as far as becoming an economic powerhouse, is now it's one of the two or three most powerful countries in the world. Oh, yes. I mean, I mean we cannot
1: but acknowledge the fact that the Chinese leadership's leadership has been able to bring back, back China on the global scene. I mean, my, on my first visit to China, it was in 1983, uh, Beijing was still a, a very, a, you know, a large village. There were no highways, there were no high rise, and, and, and people were moving around uh, driving bicycles. Uh, and, and now, whenever you, you know, when you, when you travel to China, you travel to w- one of the most modern advanced metropolis uh, mm-hmm. in the world. So, I mean, the achievement uh, of, of the Chinese leadership cannot but be acknowledged, that's for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. I, for years, so many of the Chinese observers have commented, they thought, they said, well, China has has soared economically and has moved so dramatically into the forefront of being a, a world leader in this area, yet it still has a very... Uh, what some would call an autocratic state. It's one that uh, keeps people together. You don't get out of line too far. You can get out of line a little bit, I guess. Maybe it's becoming more liberal in that respect. But do you find it interesting that uh, they've been able to achieve this economic growth, given that it's an autocratic state? Or would this be expected?
1: Well, I guess, I guess we've been, and I, I mean, I include myself, we've been probably naive thinking that, you know, economic liberalization and prosperity would lead to the democratization of the political system. This has not happened. China has been able to build a, a new model of economy and society that ac- actually is seducing many others uh, in the world notably, notably not only in the south um combining a sort of market economy uh, you know i say a sort because the state is still playing a very a key economic role um, and political author- authoritarianism uh so china has built a, a new kind of model that we didn't for- foresee and and xi jinping uh, which has been appointed the head of the Chinese leadership uh, back in 2012 uh, is still giving priority to the consolidation of the communist party authority. On
0: anything else, now what are some of the tensions that are within China right now? We'll talk about China and the U.S., China and the uh, the countries in the in that sphere of the part of the world. But what are some of the tensions? that are within the country that would maybe cause some type of uh, challenges for, the, for a leader?
1: Well, China is facing many challenges at the same time. Uh, you know, right now what we're facing is the uh, decreasing of uh, economy growth. And uh, China has uh, uh, gone through, you know, two digits uh, yearly economy growth for, for several decades. And now economic growth is, is closer to, to 5 or percent. Uh, this is a challenge because this is not providing enough uh, jobs, for, uh, especially for uh, new graduates. In as, you, as we all know, the unemployment rate is exceptionally high right now in China. It's 20, officially 20%, but the real figure might be 40%. Uh, inequalities. Uh, inequalities have uh, 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 become, you know, a a real problem uh, for the Chinese uh, leadership. Uh, One way that Xi Jinping is trying to solve the problem is asking uh, the richest person, the wealthiest person in China to practice philanthropy. Uh, uh, Well, we are a number of observers considering that you know asking for philanthropy is not enough uh, that probably it's the you know fiscal reforms should be implemented to solve the issue but the Chinese leadership is very reluctant to practice uh, you know uh, redistribute to to implement redistributive policies Uh, and then you have the demographic challenge uh, china is facing uh, uh china's population is has started to, de- to uh, 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 decline at least the the labor force and 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 um so without yet being prosperous without yet having built a social safety net uh the number of uh, retirees is going at a very fast rate
0: mm-hmm. That's that's a remarkable figure that uh, I think you said the unemployment rate f- officially is at 20 percent, but it's probably for, for young, for young people, for young people. I see. You're right. I see. Yeah. One other issue that's been concer- concerning to not only people in China, but also around the world has been the economic boom in China. And some have commented on the overbuilding. China has uh, continued to build cities and, and apartment buildings and uh, different uh, infrastructure projects and that type of thing uh, is there some possibility that it may be overextended that uh, we uh, we went through that in 2008 in the United States with a with a housing uh, well really a bubble is what it was but is there some concern that that might happen in China and that uh, something some catastrophic economic occurrence could take place?
1: Well, one of the main achievements of the Chinese leadership along the last uh, three and four decades uh, has been indeed urbanization. China was, uh, uh, had a a level of urbanization pretty, uh, especially low in the 1970s, less than 20%, which was like some kind of exceptional or unique for developing country. At that level of uh, development, and and now the uh, level of uh, urbanization reaches sixty-five uh, percent. So there are there is still thirty-five percent of the Chinese population that um, lived, that lives in, in rural areas. Uh, this achievement has, uh, of course, uh, gone with you know an unbelievable uh, uh, amount of investment put into. Uh, um, the building industry. Uh, this uh, was made possible because uh, banks were uh, supporting um, uh, developers without any limit. And and then, you know, recently the Chinese government has decided that he would not uh, continue to support uh, the developing industry as it used to be because of the, incred- uh, the um, um, increasing level of debt uh, by uh, these uh, companies. Uh, this, as you mentioned, has been seen in other capitalist countries before. I mean, uh, um, uh, urbanization and, 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 and real estate uh, in other countries at different times uh, was one of the main engine of growth. It has been the case in China. Uh, you know, uh, Activities related to real estate is you know, about one fourth of the Chinese economy growth. Uh, Chinese real estate has broke uh, ma- uh, a, 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 the major part of resources of, of local governments, and, uh, and and the Chinese government is now now, now trying to put an end to this uh, uh, um, of development to try to invent a new uh, uh, mode of development based on on high tech and 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 research and development and and you know and, and technological industries. So we, we are what we are witnessing is, you know, the, the end of uh, one's uh, uh, type of uh, economic development, and the Chinese leadership is trying to uh, uh, forge a, a new motor engine for Chinese for economic growth.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, as it, is the case, I think with all countries, we hope. China does well economically, and of course we hope the U.S. does and all the other countries, because you have to have that stability for your population, and it's very, very important. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We would invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you have a podcast, or you just have a computer, you like our shows, you would like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at a very important player in world politics and world economics, and that is China and the relationship that it has with the United States and other countries. My guest today is an expert on this topic. Dr. Jill Yu is a historian and sociologist at the University of Paris-Cité. his most recent book is Contemporary China, 1949 to the present. Dr. Jihu, this is an important book, extremely, extremely important. And earlier you mentioned about so many of the myths, and there are a lot of myths about China. What are some of the, the major myths that you've run across, and how have they been detrimental to the Chinese? American relationship or any other relationships? Uh,
1: Well, one is is that uh, China is a very diverse country. Mm. And, and, you know, one of the uh, major uh, uh, consequence of uh, uh, prosperity and development along the last uh, three or four decades is the fact that society uh, has, has, has been much much more diverse and interest has been much more diverse so uh, China is you know that used to be in a sense uh, made of you know mostly workers and 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 and, and farmers and uh, is now um, a, country, a country with very diverse interests that compete with each others and something that is something that is not so well known is that uh, there used to be, because this has changed with the Xi Jinping leadership, that there used to be uh, uh, places where these interests would compete with each other. And uh, one of these places used to be the I mean, the, uh, on, on the streets. People would demonstrate in China, people would protest in China, people would express opinions that are uh, adverse to uh, the uh, uh, Chinese leadership agenda. Uh, And and we should take into account this diversity. Of course, this has changed since Xi Jinping uh, 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 took power uh, more than 10 years ago, because he has reduced uh, the space, these spaces that were available uh, for expression. one reason why there were these spaces is because uh, there are many tensions, as we have mentioned already, uh, within uh, China, China. There are many conflicts. And uh, I'll just give one example. Um, the, the, um, the conflicts between uh, the fact that China is, as a matter of fact, a rather neoliberal country in the sense that the state has... Um, uh, is asking or has been asking uh, Chinese uh, citizens, Chinese households to um, rely on their own resources exclusively on their own resources um, to you know find work, uh, uh, provide education to the c- kids uh, um, uh, provide themselves health services. There was a time where jobs, Accommodation, education, health services were provided by the state. This has, you know, has has been dismantled in the 1990s, and and China and Chinese citizens, you know, are alone on the market to find a job, to find accommodation, to fund education and health services for themselves and their families. But at the same time, uh, there is a space or there is a field where the Chinese government doesn't tolerate um, uh, free expression. It is, you know, political issues. On political matters, the Chinese leadership has maintained or even strengthened its its, uh, monopoly. But it's because you have these tensions between uh, this neoliberal uh, um, credo and this monopoly of the Chinese leadership on political issues that people used to, you know, find room for maneuver. Because actually the, as we know, the red lines that the Chinese individuals or Chinese citizens cannot trespass without taking risk are not, you know, publicly known. And we don't, we don't know. Chinese citizens don't know what they are allowed to say, what they are not allowed to say. And this is, you know, it's this, These tensions, this uh, um, informality of control that has allowed allowed citizens to express themselves in sometimes um, even to contest the the Chinese Communist Party
0: agenda. Mm -hmm. It certainly does. Well, in the last few minutes we have, probably all of the questions have been very important. The answers have been very important. But what can be done to de-escalate some of the tensions between China and the United States and China and some other countries of the world. Do you have any suggestions for the leaders of the various countries as to how they can cooperate and coordinate in a more peaceful, less belligerent way in the future? Uh,
1: Well, maybe two points. One point is, you know, uh, we we have no option to... uh, uh, severe relationship with China because we were part. I mean, and especially uh, businesses, Western businesses, were are very much engaged in China and were, you know, those are part of the actors. On one, uh, there were some of the, the actors who contributed to the prosperity of the country. And, and you know, uh, global production chains doesn't allow us to uh, severe relationship to China. Second, I think, you know, it is very important to maintain dialogue and to continuously exchange with our Chinese counterparts. Um, And when I see, you know, the the, um, decreasing very fast rate number of uh, foreign students and uh, namely American students studying within China, uh, you know, like this year, 2023, I think it's very worrying. Dialogue uh, is, is necessary and, and we should also convince our Chinese partners that they should keep doors open, uh, which is not of, of, often the case. Uh, you may know that uh, researching ta- China is becoming more difficult for China, for Western researchers. Access to resources uh, is, and materials is becoming increasingly difficult and we should convince our Chinese uh, partners, that it is their own interest. It is in their own interest that we keep, uh, you know, uh, talking to each other and, and 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 trying to understand what is happening uh, 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 in uh, with our partners.
0: That's very very important. You have to have dialogue. You just absolutely have to have it, and that is something that looks like the U.S. and China or moving forward on uh, the last thirty seconds or so. What do you see, or how do you think that China is going to react to the Taiwan situation? It's it's probably a very difficult thing to predict. But what do you think might happen there?
1: Well, uh, there are several uh, scenarios, and of course, the worst is never sure. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, you know, we have elections, presidential elections coming. Uh, in Taiwan uh, this year. Um, what is for sure is that the Taiwanese population is, 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 is a, a growing number get, getting convinced that something may happen soon uh, and that the Chinese uh, leadership for internal reason, not necessarily for external reason, but because uh, the situation is in, within mainland China itself would you know, force, in a sense, the leadership to act against the, the Republic of China. Let's hope that it doesn't happen.
0: We certainly hope it doesn't. No, that would certainly usher in probably World War III or something very close to it. Well, Dr. Jil gui this is a very important book that you've written. And I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program today. Thank you for having me. I the being with you. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.